Clear. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really no good background noise That's yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house That's right. we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got sky riders they, now they, does that say you can't i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're in sight clear west turkey special ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta So there's this video, uh, not video. It's an audio clip. Um, yeah. It's actually yeah. it's actually on YouTube, but it's not. There's no moving video. The uh, person just added sort of subtitles so that you can kind of read along with the with the uh, the uh, uh, audio. Um, it's audio from a um, it's it's a conversation between uh, air traffic control and uh, two or three aircraft. Uh, one of which is uh, is apparently a uh, what do they call it? pipeline inspection plane. He's fly- flying through the area at about 700 feet, and uh, you know he's kind of checking in with 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 ATC, and they're saying good, do this, that, and everything's hunky dory. And then a couple seconds later, I don't know whether they've clipped out the silence because it kind of all is. Happens It'd be pretty- nice to have a timeline on it, yeah. Yeah, but uh, but the upshot of it is suddenly the guy goes. Well, okay, I've got an engine problem here, and uh, um, I'm listening to it in a couple of days, so I forget the exact wording. All right, but the upshot of it was that uh, he's suddenly going, "Well, I've got a, 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 an engine problem here, so I think I'm going to have to land this thing on the ground." And the controller says, "You know, the, the the closest airport is in this direction," and he says, "Sorry, can't do that." There's apparently a, there was apparently a thunderstorm or something in between mm-hmm. him and the field, and so he's looking around. And the whole exchange was really kind of intriguing. Uh, for one reason, because this guy was like insanely calm. All right, yeah, uh, he, yeah. he was calmer than the controller. Yeah, he was just very, very calm. Um, it was a little confusing to me at first, by the way, uh, because uh, apparently he was flying a one seventy two, but I, I didn't didn't catch that at first. And when I heard him say he was at seven hundred feet, I thought, oh, he's in a helicopter. Yeah. And then he goes, I'm losing my engine, and I'm thinking, oh, this is kind of interesting. He's going to auto rotate this thing, and then I'm realizing he's not. And anyways, he was in a one seventy two. Um, and uh, the conversation I mean, is very, very routine in some ways. Uh, that the uh, the controller is trying to help this guy out and trying to also uh, vector his other traffic. And uh, w- one of my favorite moments was when. So I, I don't know whether the controller went out of his way to 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 uh, uh, contact this guy or whether he just came on the frequency. But apparently, a police helicopter appears right. on the frequency. All right, and the controller very calmly says words to the effect of there's an airplane over here he's lost his engine he's doing an emergency landing all right and the police helicopter kind of doesn't get what he's saying at first you know and uh, and the 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 police helicopter says something like you know you know oh well okay and then the controller says no no this guy's going to land you got to go over there and see what's going on that might be a recurring theme in tonight's episode you think of, 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 of uh, you know unhelpful law enforcement officials yeah i know it could be actually it could be so uh the guy just like very very calm. The 172 very very calmly talks through this whole process, and uh, and another reason why I think they've cut out some parts is that uh, he says, "Okay, this is it. I'm going down now. You know, I've got this field in sight." And uh, and then a couple seconds later, he says something else, and he says, "Okay, I'm going to stay on the radio." And and then yeah. you suddenly realize from the context that oh, he's on the ground now. All right. Yeah. And uh, and somebody else, I don't know, if it was the helicopter guy or the controller, says, "You know, so is everything okay? How'd it go?" And the 172 guy said something 
like, uh, you know, actually it was no problem. It was very easy mm -hmm. and uh, no damage to the airplane or, or anything. So uh, uh, I don't know. You think you'd be that calm? How calm were you, Jeb? Would you want people to hear the uh, radio traffic when you're, you had your partial engine failure? Yeah, I'd be happy to. to actually, I kind of wish I had the tape. I, I do not. I do not have the tape uh -huh. of that. Um, I kind of do wish I did. Um, I don't think my voice broke any octaves. Um, I wasn't in a mood to, uh, you know, get into a long-winded discussion uh, with with ATC. Um, I did, in fact, you know, switch frequencies to the tower tower frequency from from center. Uh-huh. Uh so I had I had that kind of time. The the big difference between um this gentleman's uh very successful episode and mine, uh I had all kinds of altitude. Yeah. And I had better weather and I could see you know a 12,000 foot runway just over my nose and it was I had to to circle to lose altitude to get to the runway mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. So I mean, I, I had a lot of things going for me if um, I had, you know, if I was in instrument conditions and uh, out over the ocean or over much more inhospitable terrain or did not see a runway, I might have uh, uh, been a little bit more verbose, let's put it that way. Um, but in, in the you know, little episode that I had, uh, it was all, you know, except for, you know, unpuckering my buttocks from the seat after I landed, <laughs> uh, it wasn't that big a deal. Yeah, um, the I, upholstery survived and, and everything in the airplane right. flew again a couple of weeks later. David, I, I don't, I don't believe you've ever had a, an engine out or am I mistaken on that? Well, uh, that you're willing to talk about? I don't know. No, there's actually my early flying years when all the power plants driving me around were called uh, Cayuna and Kawasaki and Rotax. Right. Uh, a dead stick landing was something that I regularly practiced when being introduced to a new ultralight. Right, but d you didn't do it in co concert with ATC. Well, definitely wasn't talking to anybody since none of these things had radios. Right, right. But did did have the uh, uh, experience of actually having to put it to work. I adapted the the idea of practicing dead stick landings deliberately uh, out of experience. I had two of them in about six weeks, two different airplanes, two different reasons, and said, you know, these things fly pretty well with the engines off, but it'd be really nice to know ahead of time how much of a glider it will be. Uh... So from that point on, uh, I would get out someplace with uh, 3,000, 4,000 feet of altitude, throttle back, shut the engine down, uh, you know, get some nice, uh, slow, steady flight where I could maneuver the airplane, uh, get down to about 2,000, uh, 1,800, fire the engine back up and go on my merry way. Mm -hmm. uh, by that time, I had a sight picture kind of in my brain for that airplane. And I look at what the uh, airspeed and the VSI were doing because the airplanes generally did have, if not a conventional vertical speed indicator, a hang glider variometer, uh, which gave you a pretty good sense of up and down. Yep. Uh, and a little, you know, haul wind speed indicator that was basically a disc on a wire in a tapered tube. Right. So you get a sense of at what airspeed you got the lowest sync rate. And at what airspeed you got the high, you know, or where, how fast you could go before you 
you were coming down like a rock. Yeah. But, somewhere in between would be a good glide ratio. Yeah. So you're you're I guess I guess there's no there's no great answer there, there's no wrong answer this is no uh, what am I trying to say here I, I'm not sure why I, I ask you this question I've to use a bunch of times I'm not sure why I ask this question because I'm not sure if any of us would tell the absolute truth um, maybe we are but uh, are you happy with the way you reacted in those situations you know do you feel like you were reasonably calm and uh, under control and you know, didn't freak out the first one uh, I was kind of like jeb on speed by the time I got on the ground. <laughs> well, that's a scary I, I, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, uh, what, what there, do you wasn't mean by that? To, there wasn't anybody to talk to. It was a single-seat airplane, no radios. Yeah. So I don't know what I would have sounded like. And I'm not sure I could have heard anyway for the screaming going on inside my head. The second time it happened when I knew perfectly well everything would, could work out fine if I flew the airplane, uh, it was an adrenaline rush, but not much more. The third time it happened, it was kind of like, ah, damn it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's yeah. the problem this time? Yeah, yeah. It's like, hate it when this happens. Well, that, well that it, was, you it, know, it got to the point where I would show dates and friends. You know, the question would come up uh, flying the two-seat version of these things in later years. The question would come up, you know, do you ever worry about what would happen if the engine quits? Oh, no, I know what happens when the engine quits. The airplanes yeah, Let me show you. Would you like to see? You impressed women by saying, I crash airplanes all the time. Would you like to see? And three out of five would say, yeah. Oh, okay. Two out of five would ask me for me to return to the airport, and one of the five would be gone within the next five minutes. Yeah, okay. What was the character from Catch-22 that practiced crashing oh, until, yeah. he, until he was able to get to uh, Sweden or Switzerland or something? That's right. He was trying to... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, my deal was, you know, the thing that went through my mind is, you know, uh, a couple of things went through my mind, but uh, not necessarily in any great order was, what is wrong with this engine? Why can I not fix it from here? Mm-hmm. How expensive is this going to be? Um, and, you know, okay, right, let's, let's try to get this thing on the ground right. and uh, figure it out. And, and uh, uh, you know, maybe we can fix it and, and get on, you know, with our business today. Uh, it was it was pretty clear once we got on the ground that we were done flying, at least flying that airplane that right, day. Right, right. Uh, I've never, uh, I, yeah, I, and I've never had this kind of a of a an emergency in, a, in an aircraft. That's for certain. Um, I haven't had a couple of CFIs scare the crap out of me, but that's another, yeah, well, I've had that too. That's another thing altogether. I, I recently, uh, on a, on a much more serious note, I recently had occasion to call nine one one on behalf of a family member who uh, was hmm. in dire straits, and although I felt fairly calm throughout the whole process um, and I feel like I was you know given the right information and making myself clear and whatnot I do recall at one point during the whole thing I suddenly realized Jack you've stopped breathing you've got to breathe right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so you know you kind of like stop and catch your breath and and uh, and then start speaking a little bit more normally I'm not sure what I must have sounded like but uh, I got the job done well, and, and everyone and, was and, fine and so. people do have a tendency to hold their breath when things get stressful yeah, yeah. and then they get kind of Lightheaded. There you go. And then suck big air. <gasps> yeah. And that's when the adrenaline hits. And later on, they'll remember, I was calm up to the point when yeah. I wasn't. 
So anyways, this guy in the 172, let's see now, this is a little, reading the paragraph that he wrote, he posted this YouTube video that's mostly audio, uh, and he wrote, on Sunday, July 18th, I was flying a Cessna 172 from Midland, Texas to Baytown, Texas, doing a routine pipeline patrol. Upon entering the Houston Intercontinentals Class Bravo airspace, I began to experience a very rough engine, plus a rapid oil leak. The flight ended in an off-airport off landing. Myself in the airplane sustained absolutely no damage on landing. In YouTube, he calls himself DJ Mastermind and congratulate him for a successful off-field landing of the week. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, good uh, job. Good stuff. Good, good job. stuff. Hey, welcome, folks, to episode 206 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. Dead sticks or us. That's right. We're recording this, <laughs> right. We're recording this episode on, uh, on uh, Wednesday evening, September 1st, 2010. And joining me here in the virtual hangar, a couple of my good friends. Dave Higdon's here. He's back home. I believe you're back home in Wichita, Kansas. Is that correct, Dave? Back home again in Wichita. Yes, sir. Yeah. So you, uh, uh, sadly, the worst of all worlds. You not only didn't fly uh, general aviation, you not only didn't fly airlines, you actually drove up to uh, Indiana. Uh, how was the drive? Uh, it wasn't bad. I mean, uh, the, the, the timing put me in the sweet spots for missing uh, major rush hours in Kansas City and St. Louis uh, on the outbound. And, you know, was there door-to-door in about 12 hours uh, yeah. on the outbound. But did you, uh, go ahead. Did you have to go around St. Louis? <laughs> Actually, I went right through the middle of it, man, right by Lambert and everything. And then you get off the highway, take the Martin Luther King Bridge, uh, you're off the highway for about two minutes, take the MLK Bridge across the Mississippi, and then you pick up 64. Mm-hmm. And the other way takes you way far out of your way through more interchanges with more traffic jam potential. And the, the route was actually suggested by my little, uh, uh, by the little aviator ace in oh. uh, the uh, ground nav <laughs> system that I was uh, flying the car with. Yes, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. On my drive home from Oshkosh, I was twittering with people, and we were we were all joking about the fact that, um, that remember way back when Steve Tupper had this whole, you know you're a pilot if, and, uh, and we <laughs> yeah. came up with another one, which was, you know you're a pilot if you uh, navigate your car, your road trip using ForeFlight, uh, or your aviator ace. So anyways, he uh, also street, street nav park, you know, worked like a charm got me to the shortest way with the least hassles, and I was impressed by it. So. Yeah. Also joining us here in the uh, virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside, who is uh, talking to us. Let's see. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to come up with a new way of describing your location. I was going to let you know. Um, you know, turn <laughs> well, we, we west. call it the, 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 you know, UCAP Southern Headquarters. Yeah, east out of Sarasota, turn left at the second star on the right, and uh, until tomorrow or something like until that. Until tomorrow, yeah. yeah. How are you doing this, a- this evening, this I'm, afternoon? I'm, I'm well, thank you. I'm well. <laughs> so Tomorrowland is where you're from. I've yeah, Tomorrowland, that's right. Yeah. I was in the store recently, um, and this woman woman and I struck up a conversation. She was griping about how her GPS had like basically led her like 20 miles out of her way. <laughs> uh, and it was, it's the built-in GPS in her Lexus, of course. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's a shame. You know, I've got all that right here in my telephone. And she's like, what? <laughs> you know, and, oh, yeah, it just brought me right here. It's, it's a Google thing. And she's like, what? Let me see that. Let me see that. And... Uh, uh, it was it was quite the quite the scene actually. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I've never used anything other than uh, uh, the droid on the ground. Mm-hmm. 
to, to, to you know to navigate. Well, yeah, um, what, would you, what would you do? Pull the three ninety six or whatever it is. I, yeah, I, I, that's certainly an option. There's you know uh, some very good uh, standalone GPSs out there for a hundred dollars. Oh, I know there are. I'm saying, would you pull the three ninety six out of the airplane in order to go I, on for a ride down could. the road? Yeah. Certainly could. Okay. Yeah. Hey, and I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you from uh, UCAP Summer Headquarters, high atop Yay. Lookout Point in the uh, wicked hot and hurricane-threatened Nottingham, New Hampshire. So Jeb's just going to, like, just kill himself about this one, laughing about this one. I just, I just can't stand it. Yeah, just, it's like, you know, you, you've been down, how long have you been in Florida now? Three years? Four years? Yeah, three years. Three, three years, years this weekend, actually. Three years, and you've not had a serious hurricane threat in the time that you've been there. All right. Not really. All right. Is there a cause and effect? Is there a reason why hurricanes now avoid Florida? Tonight on uncontrolled airspace, the answer to why away. hurricanes dodge yeah. Sarasota. I'm a thousand you know, miles away, and we're all on hurricane alert up here for, for that's, the week. That's like you know, calling this little uh, fingernail file I have here on my desk, calling that a shark repellent. Um, well, what do you mean it's a shark <laughs> repellent? Well, there's not a shark within 10 miles of me. <laughs> There you go. It's working. Yeah, it's, it's working. working. So that uh, all the electromagnets they're wearing on your belt. Yeah. Well, that that kind of screws up the monitor actually. So I don't do that anymore. There you go. There you go. <clears throat> Let's see now. What's going on here? Uh, so Jeb, were you in the on the TV news talking about motorcycles? No, I guess that. Was- no, that wasn't me. And I I I saw that in the in the um, in the forums, and um, you know, I said, "No, sorry, guys, it wasn't me." I kind of, you know, I don't know if I wish it was or wasn't, or anything. And uh, you know, curiosity got the best of me, and I started googling around, and and uh, actually found uh, the uh, television station website, and and drilled down a little bit more. Actually, the, the reporter's name is Jeff Burnside. Ah, okay. I think ah. one of us has one of us definitely has cause for a lawsuit here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I was going to be really worried if it was the exact same name. This is a forums post by Top Pilot, and he says, I live in Stewart, Florida. I was watching the local morning uh, uh, local news channel, and there was a short episode on a speeding motorcycles uh, giving law enforcement trouble on the highways, some approaching speeds of 120 miles an hour. Um, and it says, after the segment, the anchor said that the report was submitted by Jeb Burnside. He says, was that you, Jeb? And then Jeb later on came in and said, It was his uh, evil nephew, Jeff. But So it was Jeff Burnside. Yeah, yeah, my alter ego. Go, Jeff. Yeah, cousin. You know, you know, and but it might have been about you. No, no, you would never ride a hundred. Yeah, I, 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 on your maybe once, but <laughs> yeah, not, not, not anywhere near Stewart, Florida. I know, really. You can barely get your airplane going. No, that's not true. You get your airplane yeah, going. I, don't go there, my Just friend. Just fine. Yeah. I know. I know. I'll do my you know jujitsu voodoo on you, and that and an earl will come visit you. <laughs> Be very careful. Yeah, don't right, don't right. mess with forces with which you're not familiar. Yeah, not you do not want to visit from the satanic mechanic. Ooh. This is true. Ooh. This is. Hey, David. Um, last I think it was last episode. Recently, on on an episode, we were talking about fantasy flights and uh, you know not uh, mm-hmm. fantasy flights that we've actually gone through with. Um, or would actually like to go through with. It. And you kind of made casual reference to the fact that you flew across the Atlantic once. And we uh, would nod and let it go. On a part, on a part 91 flight, been across the Atlantic quite a few times in the human mailing tube. Yeah, right. No, but I, I want to I hear it. I don't know if you've ever told us the story about flying on a, in a... In and, a and, and calling it a GA I've heard the story before, so go ahead. Okay. Yeah, well, you calling it, it a GA flight is, is, is only a stretch. What, what was the aircraft? It, it, it was a de Havilland Dash 7, which is a 50-seat high-wing uh, airliner with... Stole characteristics ah, okay. and four PT six <laughs> engines. Okay, so what was the nature of this flight? You weren't. It wasn't an airline flight, was it? It was not an airline flight, actually. The matter of fact, there were only uh, thirteen of us, if I remember correctly, 
on the aircraft for a flight. We were positioning the airplane, if you will, yes, to Le Bourget Airport in Paris for the uh, uh, Paris Air Show that year, 1985. Ah, okay. And the nice folks at de Havilland... Uh, which was still a standalone operation in Downsview, outside Toronto, Ontario. They invited uh, a small number of journalists uh, to ride along on the positioning flight in the Dash 7, going over, and if we chose, uh, on the return, which was going to be a little bit more casual and more relaxed, let's say less on schedule than mm-hmm. the trip over. Uh, we we lifted out of uh, Downsview for uh, Goose Bay on uh, on a uh, Tuesday, if I remember correctly. We overnighted there, landed at Narsarsawak, Greenland, uh, which is a one-way in. It's at the end of a fjord. Mm-hmm. It was a World War II seaplane stopover, uh, military base. They based subhunters and, and uh, recon airplanes there. And the runway actually slopes down into the fjord. Uh, and it would, if you were careful, your Chevy would go off the end too. Uh, but it was uh, 2,400 feet in runway, uh, and it ended basically at a rock pile on one end and at the water on the other. And a gross weight Dash 7 will uh, get up and running and off the ground in under 1,200 feet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we went in low and slow, dragging it in over the water and got on the ground and down and stopped before the rock pile. Turn around, and then went out the opposite direction. Uh, we overnighted in Reykjavik. Uh, then the next day, flew all the way to Plymouth, England. Uh, picked up a piece of equipment. Then on to Le Bourget that evening, and that was when we came into Paris. We actually didn't go through customs and get our passport stamped. Hmm. Then the return I- was uh, uh, Dublin overnight, and then Reykjavik overnight, and then. Uh, Sonderstrom, Greenland, and La Grande Riviere, way up on the Hudson Bay, and then due south back into Toronto. Hmm. I, I, I'm very sad to say I cannot come up with a uh, Pining for the Fjords reference. <laughs> it was great fun, and the luggage space was walk-in, and the Canadians have this great stuff called Labatt's Export. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and we had cases of it on the airplane going over. Okay. Uh, we do beer these podcast with an aviation problem. <laughs> that's right. That's well, right. <laughs> we would do these nasty things to the flight crew. Now, this is a, about a 190-knot airplane, okay? It is not a screamer. And stretching the legs to the absolute breaking point lets you go about 900 nautical miles. Uh, and, brother, you'd better be in sight of the runway, as the boss put it. Uh, so we're chugging along, not going too fast, and uh, doing four and five hundred mile legs and then a seven hundred mile leg and then an eight hundred we got a little bored we're all adults we've had a little bit too much in the way of adult refreshment and you know the sandwiches on board and somebody gets this idea instead of all being scattered around and shooting the breeze and making notes and looking out taking pictures out the window yeah let's all creep back to the last row of seats you guys crazy don't do this at home folks and, and, and the, the, the autopilot hold would keep the airplane there, but it would pitch up a little bit, and you could hear the engines load up because it didn't automatically trim. 
and they would retrim the airplane, and you could hear the engines get back to their you know less loaded drone, and then slowly but surely we would all go to the very <laughs> front row of the. Air- and the airplane would start to unload a little bit. You could feel the nose come down, and now it's trying to hold the altitude with the elevator. And they get it retrimmed, and then we all go to the back again about 20 minutes later. And then the guy comes on the PA system. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Just want to let you know that we're still three hours out of Reykjavik, and cut that out. <laughs> or we are, we are locking the luggage compartment. <laughs> and it never happened again. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I always thought you were going to say that you all went to the left-hand side of the airplane, then you all went to the right-hand side of the airplane. We would have had to go a lot farther out on the wing. Yeah, I we, guess. I guess it wouldn't be. But front to back longer. worked pretty good. Yeah, okay. Um, speaking of flying out over the water, uh, so we've got a story in the news the last couple of days uh, about a 747. I'm reading from a, a somewhat questionable um a news source here jeb you probably got better data but i'm reading from something called the oh, i i'm embarrassed to admit this bignewsnetwork.com um a Qantas flight bound for sydney australia was forced to make an emergency landing at san francisco international airport early tuesday after a malfunction of one of its engines uh, the Qantas airways flight 747 um uh, flight number seven let me say that again Qantas Airways Flight Number 74, a Boeing 747, departed SFO, uh, and now paraphrasing, uh, was in the air for about 45 minutes when the engine failure occurred. Um, They decided to turn around. They went back to SFO and landed basically uneventfully. Um, Three engines is more or less okay. The dreaded three-engine approach. (laughs) I know. Um, But, uh, you know, it's it's made made the news a little bit here. I mean, it's kind of notable. Yeah. I heard about this from, from, I don't know, some other sources, AP, Google, whatever, and uh, uh, sounds like, you know, kind of a nothing burger, except, of course, you know, we have news outlets that need to fill space and uh, anything involving an airplane that's, you know, that's not on time and well, the baggage did, doesn't arrive makes the news. So. I did hear someplace that this engine failure involved, a, what do they call it, an uncontained failure? Well, it, it seems to have. The, the, the original... A uh, story I saw said, you know, engine explodes. Air, you know, airplane yeah, engine well, explodes. Right. All, uh, you oh, know, airplane don't they always? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, whatever. Um, it could well have been um, uncontained, although an uncontained failure um, to me means the uh, uh, one of the flywheels comes apart and, and penetrates the side of the engine. Um, what comes out the tailpipe of the engine, I, you know, it, when the thing uh, um, decides to self-destruct, I don't consider that to be um, uh, an uncontained thing. Um, passengers said they heard a thud, duh, which was followed by a shower of sparks and some fire inside the engine. Um, all I could see was just a shower of sparks, but it was remarkably calm. I was really surprised that during the whole sort of fireworks show, there was no screaming and no very obvious signs of panic. Well, you, you weren't in the cockpit, of course. Yeah, I know. So you don't, you don't know what was going on up there. <laughs> so, anyways, um, yeah. The, the, the guys on the flight deck are going, oh, man, I'm not paying for that. Yeah, that's right. That's you right, know, yeah. How much is this going to cost? And um, and, and I, I, if I'd have known I was going to be back in San Francisco overnight, I would have tipped better. 
I know, right? Uh, yeah, right. God, darn. I uh, wish I wish I hadn't dumped her name and phone number out of my cell phone. I know, really. <laughs> what was I thinking? Yeah. Uh, Jeb, well, you left her with the check. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> did you peek, Jeb, yet? Whether or not the NTSB has written anything about this yet? I have not. We can do that right uh, right now, actually, though. Yeah. Uh, it's a little quick uh, for the NTSB to come up with something like that. Yeah. Uh, let me uh, put it another way. It's a little quick for it to appear on the NTSB's website. I was going to say, this was just Monday. Uh, yeah. You know, I doubt seriously they would have sent anybody. That would have been handed off to the locals. Yeah, yeah it would have 45 been minutes out of SFO, so they were a ways out over the ocean by that point. Um, you know, it's... Cruise altitude, yet. Yeah, they were cruise. Yeah, yeah so I mean, it's a, it certainly is a sobering incident. Um, you know, to, it's one thing to lose an engine. I, as I understand it, they'll routinely shut down one of these four for, you know, mm-hmm. you know from time to time. To have it, you know, kind of misbehave in this kind of dramatic fashion has got to kind of make you think a little bit. And well, there, there's a lot. There's a lot going inside those things. I mean, when you think about how much pressure is generated just by the compressor units, uh, which raises the temperature of the air to unbelievable levels, the amount of compression that they get, and then they blow all that hot air into this great big hot metal ring where there's a blue flame running already and it gets mixed with fuel and kind of like a GOP convention isn't it <laughs> yeah well there you go and then it and then and then that fire not only you know provides the uh, the thrust but a little bit of that hot air goes to making the wheels turn back there at the turbine wheels so that they can keep the compressor and the fan blade running and you know all the accessories that go with it once in a while something just kind of says you know not today i'm over yeah. this yeah. break yeah. time yeah. yeah um there's nothing on the ntsb's website or at least in their database yeah. uh, okay. about this let me look for let's see um <clears throat> See nothing on the FAA website that I've been able to find yet. Let's try that one. That's why we depend on big news. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's nothing uh, on, even on the FAA website at this stage um, regarding you know, incidents, uh, things like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it's a thing. It's, it yeah. is what it is, and, uh, and maybe we'll learn something more about it in the future. But uh, Well, I mean, stuff like that does happen. Um, uh, engines let go, um, even uh, uh, on uh, well-maintained jet airliners. Uh, yeah, or well uh, anything made by man, you know, has has the ability to fail. Even well-maintained debonairs from time to time. Even well-maintained debonairs yeah, from time so, to time. So, uh, on a very very different uh, tone a note here, um, I came across a listing for a used airplane recently, uh, and uh, I forget how I got this. Whether a listener sent it to me, or I stumbled across it, or one of you guys sent it to me, but uh, it's a uh, for sale a used airplane, a Cessna 162 LSA Skycatcher for sale. Now, huh? Uh, <laughs> this is just it's uh, uh, airframe hours 25. Uh, let's see now. There's lo- the, my favorite line is down lower here. Uh, oh, it says it, way down at the bottom of the air, detailed aircraft information under the heading of additional description. It says, in fact, new airplane. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, the asking price is one hundred one hundred and thirty one thousand eight hundred and forty nine dollars, um, which means it's either marked up or a really loaded. Um, 
What's the? What's it does, the, it does well, appear got, relatively well equipped. What's the base price on a on a Skycatcher? It's like one one ten, one twenty, something it's like. It's about one twelve is the base, yeah. but that's the single screen G three hundred. Yeah. And what's this and the one, one got pictured on? here? Is the dual screen? Yeah. So, uh, man, I got to tell you, the difference between the uh, certification prototype that I flew from San Diego to Tampa and the panel that I'm seeing in this picture is really remarkable. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of wondering um which is which actually. I'm kind of wondering if maybe what's depicted in these in these images is uh, actually a, an early prototype or early drawings or something. What what is well, the deal with this? Is I don't, this real? I don't remember the I don't remember you know, maybe I've just never looked at the at the uh, profile of the Skycatcher before. I don't remember it having you know, such a razorback fuselage on. It does though. Yeah. It does. Yeah. But right. what's the deal? There, you know, there aren't like a dozen skycatchers in private hands yet, are there? You're right, they're not. Yeah. So I this, Eight, is, I this is just like suspicious to me. Something's going on here. You know, that, well, it, it, I, I know that it's all that suspicious. It strikes me that it's it's a a broker or a dealer uh, who's marketing a skycatcher. Yeah, I agree. And with this, you. This he's marketing a skycatcher, or he's marketing mar- marketing his delivery position. Marketing a skycatcher, I, I think this one in fact says year two thousand eleven, uh, as as the uh, year of manufacture. So this is probably a a delivery position. B, he'd be happy to sell you this one and however many others you might want. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So anyways, uh, the other for- thing to keep the other thing to keep in mind here is this one is um, although. Um, it's it's kind of hard to discern. On one hand, it says the country of, of uh, where the airplane is located is the United States. It says the state is Quebec, and uh, so this is this is Canadian. So I don't know if this is Canadian dollars or U.S. dollars or or, or what that what the price is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when but, I first uh, saw this, I thought I, I think when I first saw this listing, I just caught you know LSA for sale used. And I was curious to see how they're going to start being marked down. This is something that as time goes on, I really want to see sure, what the sure. secondary market for these new LSAs is. But this is a very different kind of case. So this is just kind of well, I would the- I would wager that uh, a lot of those 25 hours were ferrying it from Wichita. Right. Yeah, right. right. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And, and, and I, would, I would further wager that they don't even actually have possession of this airplane yet, um, that this is a speculative ad. Uh, they'd be happy to sell you this airplane once it's manufactured and delivered. Yeah. So because uh, the uh, photos, interestingly enough, the photos are not. A, yeah, they're generic. They don't have any tail number. Yeah. Uh, although it says the tail number is C one sixty two. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Which you can't you can't do because even even if it was a C registration, C registrations are letters, not numbers. That's right. And you Canadian. can't do. I would suspect that 162 is taken somewhere in the FMU number registry. So, Well, it could be November Charlie 162. Yeah, but I don't think Cessna is even going to do that. Yeah. So, anyways, all right. It's a thing. It's a thing. And it doesn't have to be registered Canadian yet, necessarily. That's true. If, if, I think you're right. I don't think the airplane's there yet. Yeah. Uh, according to something that uh, I saw earlier this week, uh, there have been eight go through the assembly uh, operation here in Wichita at Yingling Aircraft. Uh, and right now, that's the only place where they're assembling them and uh, from from there delivering them. So uh, here's your chance. 
Yeah. Just 131,849. And that, if that is, in fact, like Jeb suspects, and I think he's right, if that is Canadian, that's only 999995. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, moving on here. Let's see. And I'll throw in a case of Labatt. Yeah, I think you go. Well, that's right. – no, no, no. Um, but make it the blue. Yeah, but then, then you'll you know, have to offload some fuel. So, so here we go. New story here. Um, you know, yeah, I always, you always had to figure these guys had a dark side, all right? You always <laughs> knew them had to be something going on here, all right? Yeah, yeah. It's the way they did the thumbs-up thing? Is that it? Yeah, that's it. That's John it. and Martha yeah. King, all right? This is kind of a story that's got a lot of traction in, uh, in the aviation, you know, Internet world the last few days. Um, so uh, John and Martha King uh, got... got uh, taken into custody temp- momentarily by uh, by uh, the authorities when they landed uh, their airplane in uh, where were they here uh, Santa Barbara uh, Santa Barbara California all right um, they were uh, uh, they were met on the ramp uh, they actually landed apparently and instead of being t- directed to taxi to the ramp they were directed to taxi to some some distant corner of the airport where they were met by the authorities who at gunpoint told them to get out of the airplane they were put in separate police cars handcuffed and and had to wait for a while and the upshot of all this was that they were flying an airplane that had an n number n number that had been previously used on another airplane which had been stolen or reported stolen and and this n number was still in some database somewhere and uh and and the there's a later link on the uh there's a list To uh, something that uh, Max Prescott posted. Yeah, so it turns out that this is not the first time that this particular N number had been This this particular airframe. Oh, was it this airframe again? It was this This actual airframe. Okay, same airframe. So so this is the second time. Not the airplane that was stolen. This is the second time that this airplane, which is not the one that was stolen, but which has the N number of an airplane that was once stolen, this is the second time that this airplane has, that, that, that the occupants of this airplane have been detained by law enforcement under suspicion of being thieves. The, the first time a Cessna employee flew the airplane basically brand new out of the factory from Independence, Kansas to Wichita, whereupon he was greeted uh, by local law enforcement who calmly, gently, politely, without pulling their firearm, said, hey, um, we've got a report you might be flying a stolen airplane. Can you show me some paperwork on this? And, and he was, was ha- Yeah. Well, I, was he handcuffed? I don't yeah, think he, he was. Yeah, he was handcuffed. Was he? Yeah. Um, um, but everybody went away happy that time. You know, so, A, this, is, this has already happened before. Uh, uh, some l- law enforcement has already, you know, kind of jumped through the knickers on this airplane. Um, you know, my thought would, you know, for Cessna at this stage would be to get out there with a can of Krylon and, and some paperwork and change the N number. <laughs> yeah, I know, really. But, you know. Um, I don't know. I think See, this I think- would be a good time to get out and scrub the database. Yeah. You know, because what happened, there was a Cessna 150 that was stolen about six years ago with November 50545. I'm sorry, I've got to put that in ATC. 50545. Uh, the number, the airplane was never recovered. At some point, the end number was canceled out. You know, somebody got an insurance claim. Uh, the paperwork was zeroed out. The airplane no longer exists. The FAA reissued the tail number some years later to this particular 172 Sierra. 
which for some time now has been uh, John and Martha King's uh, development airplane for doing some of their uh, flight school and, and uh, Cessna Pilot Center training courses. And they were on an IFR flight plan. Now, of course, you all know that drug runners try to throw off bad the, the law enforcement by actually operating in the public eye on instrument flight plan. Drug runners. It's a, it's a double reverse thing. I know. They had arrived on an IFR flight plan. They were in the system. They were just totally there. Here, here, Same thing what, happened to this guy Pittman when he was flying from Independence to Wichita. Yeah, well. Cessna wants their people on instrument flight plans. If you know, it, 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 they like the the the, uh, the 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 tracking and the hand holding that goes with them, and I don't blame them. So Pittman's on an IFR flight plan when it showed up in the system the same way here in January of '09, uh, and we know that this has happened to other guys, not in this airplane. Who went through the same thing and didn't get anywhere near an apology or a pat on the head and say, gee, we're really sorry. We screwed up, like the Santa Barbara police chief was nice enough to do with the Kings. Yeah. Jeb, you were going to say something? A couple of things. One, how many other times has this airplane been flown IFR? Uh, two, when the Kings landed, they were directed to a remote area of the airport. Um, <sighs> why? Well, it turned. It, it only the thing only seats four people. Are you are you looking for a SWAT team to get out of it? I mean, well, what? Well, it, I mean, whiskey tango foxtrot. John Thirdly, if this had been if these had been real bad people, yeah, they'd have just and turned they around and they see that they're being directed away from their intended location, and they look down the taxiway and go, "Ooh, you know, we really don't want to meet all those squad cars." Hell, a one seventy two can take off from the taxiway. They're That's out right. of there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, John and Martha are a couple of scary-looking characters, let me tell they, you. They, they truly are. The, the other thing, you know, if I landed at, at some airport, and you know, especially where I was based or something like that, and I wanted to taxi to my hangar, and, and Tower says, no, you need to taxi to X, Y, or Z, I said, I'd, I'd have just stopped and said, no, why are you sending me in that direction? What's going on? What's the problem? And I don't know what transpired between the Kings and the Tower in this event. Um, but again, last time I checked, the pilot's the final authority of the operation of the aircraft. And uh, directing me someplace I don't want to go for some reason I don't know about is cause for me to ask a few questions. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and I, I, I don't know, you know, I, 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 the Kings, uh, in every report, and, and I haven't listened to the podcast or anything like that, but uh, um, in, in this instance, the Kings were very compliant. They were very uh, calm. Uh, and, and my hat's off to him. I don't know if I would have been that calm or collected or, or compliant in any of this. Um, I, I don't know. I'd like to think that I would have survived this ordeal, but I just don't know. Well, I would have been sitting there thinking, okay, what's my attorney's phone number again? Right. Um, because I, we are going to have a complaint uh, at some point in this that uh, – some element of this operation. Now, the King's tail number and their IFR flight plan and the old data on that being a stolen airplane's end number were made available. The information was made available to the Santa Barbara police by an agency, a mysterious agency in Texas called EPIC. This is what I want to know more about. Yes, yes. yes. The El Paso is, Information Center. Right. El Paso what? Information Center. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. 
Do, is there is there um, uh, I don't know. We can probably think up a bunch of different acronyms. Is there an information center for every two two uh, uh, word city uh, uh, in in the country? I you know well, this is a local division of Halliburton. No, I'm making that up. <laughs> no, you're probably not actually. Um, well, it may or may not be true. I happen to be making it up at this particular yeah. moment. Um, well, what 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 troubles me here is that we've got um, American citizens. Who are and, and like I said, this has happened to other pilots who were not the kings, and the events didn't generate this kind of uh, uh, yeah. brouhaha because they weren't the kings, right? You know, and it's kind of like, well, you know, these things are going to happen. Why? Yeah, why? why? Did we suddenly, did we suddenly like abandon common sense, the Constitution, uh, and how about data that's not six years old? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's a lo- that's one of the complaints a lot of people have had, which is that this is an easy thing to figure out long before they had and enc- you know confronted these folks. This you know. gets back to my whole theme uh, of uh, in the last several years, what we've gone from is a, a government, a series of government agencies who take it upon themselves to lighten the burden on the citizenry to those same agencies placing the burden on the citizenry. And and you know trying to lighten their own workload and their own budgets to to the detriment of of a lot of different uh, uh, cultural standards and mores that that we've all enjoyed for a number of years. Uh, two other things here. Um, what's going to happen next time? Because you know this was the Santa Barbara Police Department uh, and the El Paso Information Center. Um, the first time it happened, it was Wichita. It was in Kansas. Uh, what's going to happen the next time that uh, this airplane is flown IFR or uh, some other airplane that uh, maybe, you know, um, instead of the uh, 9451S on my airplane, someone transposes that to 94515. And 94515 has uh, some, uh, some history. Maybe its, its owner has uh, been indicted somewhere. Or is is under indictment, or, or there's a want, there's a, an arrest warrant out for him, or you know maybe something else happens, and you know there's this kind of mistake. First of all, if um, if I was driving a car, would they bring all of these law enforcement resources to bear on on this episode? Uh, here I am in a 172 or or a debonair, or you know pick pick your poison. Um, why all the all the resources? Why all the drama associated with this? Um, are, are we just showing off? Is law enforcement just showing off here? Um, or is it really more a matter of ever since 9-11, everybody's got this innate fear of uh, these, these, um, these airplanes that no one knows anything about. And uh, we, we've got to control this. We've got to react uh, as if this were the end of all, this was the terrorist, the mother of all terrorists instance. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the, the, I don't know the answers to these questions. But this, the second point or second question I have is, um, so, you know, the kings, you know, they, they clear the area. The law enforcement, you know, goes away and the kings, you know, strap on the 172 and taxi off to the parking area and secure the airplane. And eventually, they call Craig Fuller. And my only question is, what wine was Craig Fuller enjoying when the kings called? <laughs> you just have a lot of problems with this whole story, don't you? 
All right. Uh, I was thinking that that would be a good time. That would be a good time for a nice uh, Madeira or a port. Yeah, a something port. to go with a weekend on the California uh-huh. coast. Right, you know, an apre arrest drink. Yeah, right. An apre arrest drink, yes. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Moving on. Moving on. Here we go. Um, so here's a story. You think he wants to move on, huh? Here's another. Yeah, why, another. why would he want to move on? We could, do, we could do, you know, 30 more minutes on this. Yeah, and yeah 30 more minutes. That's the point. Um, so uh, here we go. Here's a story. Uh, yet another. We've done a couple. I haven't credited them all, but here's another story from Aero News Net. Um, Two aircraft collide on Diamond Point, Washington runway. Now, this story strikes me as odd. Jeb, while, while I'm describing this, could you try and look this one up? This is also probably too recent for NTSB to have written anything about it, but I'd be curious to hear. What's the location? Um, uh, Diamond Point, Washington. Uh, the airport apparently is Two Whiskey Alpha One. Um, arriving airplane landed short, hit aircraft in run-up area. This is the part that starts to get me wondering what the heck is going on here. There were no serious injuries when two aircraft collided on the runway at Diamond Point Aircraft in Sequim, Washington, Tuesday, but both airplanes sustained substantial damage. It's it's not on the uh, uh, NTSB site, but here's, I have two words for you. What's that? Peter Garrison. Okay. Okay, explain, please. Peter Garrison, um... Those of us who have been around for a while in Red Flying Magazine back in the day, Peter Garrison was a regular columnist for Flying Magazine. He designed and built his own airplane, which he called Melmoth. Yeah. And flew it around the world, he and his wife, uh, wrote up a bunch of stories on it, a bunch of, bunch of material is out there. He was in the run-up pad at a California airport. might have been Van Nuys, might have been some, some other airport. He was in a run-up pad at at the uh, airport preparing to take off. This was 20 years ago, something like that. And a um, Cessna 210 landed on top of him. How? Huh? And, and totaled, totaled Melmoth, um, prob- probably totaled the 210 that landed. I know Garrison got out, and I think he walked away. I think the, the occupants of the 210 also uh, were uninjured. Uh, but the, the uh, Garrison's home bill airplane was totaled. I think the, the 210 was also. Um, now, let me. And he's sitting in the run-up here. Go ahead, Jeb. No, that's it. I mean, I, I mean this I, has happened before. Just, just to be line. clear here, all right, I cannot think that I've ever seen, or I can't recall ever seeing a run-up area that wasn't off to the side. They're off yeah. to okay. the side. This is where you need to let me provide a little perspective here. Oh, okay. If all we right. must. Runway is, Go runway ahead, is 20, The runway is 2335 long. Yeah. And, and only 24 wide. Okay. Okay. Well, you put the runoff area off to the side. Uh, how big do you think they're going to make a runup area for a runway that's only 24 yeah. feet wide? Right. But the runup area is still going to be to one side of the edge of the runway. That's true. But now think about this, son. You only have to be off the center line 12 feet for one gear to be over the runup area. I don't know, Dad. It just doesn't strike me as being. Uh, Okay. It's 24 feet. There are airplanes with gear track almost that wide. Right. Little airplanes. It says here Theodore Calderon was in the run-up area at the departure end of runway 29er in a Cessna 150 with a passenger. Witnesses say, and FAA confirms, that a Piper PA-28-180 uh, flown by Dennis Reck or Retch, uh, was too low on approach and his landing gear struck a berm between the runway and Diamond Point Road. 
Ah. The PA-28 essentially came in on top of them, hitting the right wing of the 150. Uh, volunteer, anyways. So uh, the landing gear on the Cherokee collapsed, and the fuel tank was ruptured, spilling gas. Um, apparently, it didn't catch fire. They foamed it out. And, and oh, you got a perfect storm. Left gear. When, right when did this bank. happen? Uh, uh, the the story the story is the 26th of August. Let's see here. Uh, airplane. I don't see a particular date, but the story's dateline the dateline the 26th. I'm sorry, David. Perfect storm. Well, you got a left gear and a right wing, a narrow runway, uh, a run-up pad that's not going to be much bigger than the wingspan of the airplane, presuming that the guy was all the way back in the run-up area, which is not going to be all the way back because he had to get his nose in there and turn around. Uh, The guy hits a berm. Uh, The chances of coming off exactly straight down on the runway center line, if you hit a berm when you're low on approach... That's a real wild card thing. Uh, and you're only talking about a 24-foot runway. Yeah, okay. Most city streets are wider than that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, right. I can't find anything in the, in the FAA or the NTSB records about this particular event. Well, it's like the, uh, like the uh, Qantas thing. It's pretty recent. So, uh, um, anyways. All right, David. Maybe, maybe I'm kind of starting to see your point here. So, uh, but still, just... You know, of all the places, I would have figured I'd be okay in the in the in the run-up area, but I guess not. And Garrison's uh, another example. So there you yeah, go. Yeah. You know, you just when when somebody else gets into uh, 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 an out of control situation, like hitting a berm, glancing off of it, and going in God knows what direction. Yeah, all, all bets are off. Yeah. All bets are off. Well, I, that, and that was the only part of it that I kind of was fan- thinking about was yeah, that is that hitting the berm, he lost directional control. But it, then it talks about him coming down on top of the airplane in the run-up area, and that's where it started to get weird again. But oh, okay, yeah. it's all pretty tight quarters. And, point. Yeah, definitely going to be a coming down point. Yeah. Okay. All right. Just you know, it, it, if you get behind the airplane. You'll wish the airplane was behind you. Yeah. So all the more reason to stay behind the hold short line, or as we call it now, the no, no, I guess we still do call it a hold short line. <laughs> yeah, that's not until September third. The line up and wait short the line. Up line up, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. The don't line up and wait line. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start calling it the rope line. Yeah. Right. Know. There you go. There you go. Shout-outs. Let's see now. Uh, there's a bunch of shout-outs this week. This is going to take yeah. a little while here, but let's see if we can get through these because they're all kind of cool, and I want to make sure we, we uh, uh, call attention to some cool stuff here. First of all, uh, uh, shout-out to one of our listeners and forum participants, um, a, uh, a listener by the name of DC Flyer. Um, has been uh, talking in the forums for a while now about his flight training and uh, recently was asking questions uh, in preparation for his check ride. And he recently uh, actually completed his check ride and uh, successfully and is now a private pilot. So congratulations to a DC flyer uh, in, the, in the forums. Uh, good job. And uh, now uh, go out there and do some flying. So uh, it's pretty cool. He was, uh, he was really quite concerned, as I guess many of us are, were, um, about the actual act of taking doing the check ride, he was really concerned about failing, and I, I think that was sort of the undercurrent. If I thought, anyways, and mm-hmm. a lot of us were trying to counsel him in the forums about how it's really not the way to think of it because you can't hardly 
ultimately fail a check ride. I mean, assuming you're prepared and your CFI's done a good job and you've paid attention, you know, the the worst that'll happen is that you don't pass the first time through and, and then you go back. But this guy did just fine. And uh, although coincidentally, he had his check ride split in two just the same way mine was, which was uh, he went in and uh, they did the oral, and then it turned out the weather wasn't good enough to go flying. And so he had to come back a few days later to do the flying part, which is almost exactly what happened to me way back when. So, anyways, congratulations to DC Flyer for uh, for passing his check ride. That's great. Way to go. Yeah, yeah. David, what do you got here? Oh, Arizona. Something good to say about Arizona. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's say something good about Arizona, David. Uh, the... Uh Reminded me of a line from a Marx Brothers movie. A uh, guy's about to sign a contract, and Groucho says, what about the sanity clause? And Chico goes, sanity clause? Everybody knows there's no such thing as a sanity clause. Uh, well, there's a sanity clause in Arizona, apparently. Arizona, they, they actually got credit where credit is due. They had some common sense here. What'd they do? Well, the, uh, uh, the Arizona State Board for Private Post-Secondary Education decided at their August 26th meeting that they would not reinterpret state regulations to subject small flight schools, Part 61 flight schools. That's kind of like what your independent flight instructor is, uh, along with maybe the FBO and, and, and some others. They're not the big operations like Embry-Riddle, uh, Part 141 flight school. Uh, Part 61 flight schools as vocational schools, which would have made them subject to regulatory requirements and fee fee requirements similar to uh, a, a law passed in California earlier this year, which the California state legislature has now decided to suspend the application to flight schools pending further re- review of the That's whole issue. Here too, yeah, but yeah, uh, that just happened this week. So okay. But, uh, uh, you know, but Ari- hats off to Arizona. The, they showed they have a sanity clause. And presuming uh, Governor Schwarzenegger uh, was able to come back and sign the law, uh, you know, it's a little bit of pressure off the California flight schools. Yeah, well, so. that's good. Hopefully these, these things, because we were getting a little bit of a scare with some states doing this weird thing about about holding flight yeah, schools to a, a lot unreasonable of, standard. And, uh, so. There's a lot of, we need to cut taxes so we'll increase fees. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, well, that's good progress. Everyone should uh, follow, in at least in this way, follow Arizona's lead. And uh, there you and, go. Uh, likewise, California, hopefully. So, anyways, Jeb, you've got a cool one. What do you got? Yeah, uh, we talked, uh, I think, a couple of episodes ago uh, about a pilot uh, uh, out of Maryland who had just received his private ticket and just earned, I should say, his private ticket and was planning to fly from coast to coast. Well, he did it. Yeah. Uh, Reisterstown, Maryland, uh, uh, teenager, uh, Nate Foster, 17 years old, uh, flew his Super Cub from uh, Maryland to, uh, where did he land? I'm sorry, began in Ocean City, Maryland, um, and landed, uh, where did he, landed in Monterey, Monterey, California. I believe, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Great choice. Great choice, yeah. The guy's got taste, not only in airplanes, but uh, in, in where to land and depart. Uh, my favorite graph at was the last, and this whole story was the last one. It says Foster's dad, Whit, 
greeted him in Monterey. He taught his son to love airplanes and couldn't believe how far the boy had taken his hobby. When the pair walked into the pilot's lounge in California on Saturday morning, Whit Foster kept telling everyone who would listen, quote, this is my son. He just flew from Maryland to California. Yeah. <laughs> very, very cool. But um, very cool. Uh, he, he, this, this particular article, this is in the Baltimore Sun, which is the local uh, paper for Reisterstown. But uh, said he left Maryland last week hoping to squeeze in the cross-country flight and return in time for Tuesday's orientation at Friends School, where he was a senior. This is a private high school, I guess. Um, the trip went mostly as planned with no technical difficulties and only one lost day when thunderstorms kept him trapped in Battle Mountain, Nevada. Oh, yeah. Quote, it's a very, very small town, Foster said. It only took about an hour to see the whole thing. <laughs> but wait a minute. As I recall, Battle Mountain has a uh, kind of interesting airplane collection at their airport. I, the reason well, I know this is uh, uh, Interstate 80 goes right by there, and I used to drive past okay. it going to and from Oshkosh. Uh, now yeah, I'm going to check. Anyways, this, this, yeah. Yeah, this story says he's thrived on advice from local pilots. Very smart young man. Very smart young man. Uh, advice from local pilots gleaned at each small airport as he crossed the northern half of the country in two-hour hops. Stay near a highway, they told him, so you'll have a guaranteed landing strip if you need to go down. So Foster kept his sights glued to Interstate 80 yep. as he soared above the Rockies. He said he only grew nervous once, crossing a stretch of flat brown desert as Nebraska bled into Wyoming. He saw no trees, rivers, or fences. If an emergency forced him to land, he thought, who would ever find him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, very, just very, very cool. cool. Congratulations uh, to Nate Foster, and um, um, you know, keep it up. You know, what's and, and, what's your next challenge going to be? And and congratulations to Dad Wit, yeah, for what he for what he's uh, inspired here. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Speaking of long flights, David, tell us about Michael Combs. Michael Combs is flying uh, a LSA all around the United States in an attempt to hit all 50 states. Uh, he is right now, I think, about headed to Alaska. Uh, he's got 45 of 50 states down. Michael is a cancer survivor. Uh, well, he's surviving so far. He's a cancer patient who, when he was given a, uh, a, a diagnosis that was not very promising decided to do something that he'd always wanted to do and maybe inspire others along the way and thus began the flight of the human spirit. Uh, he's, uh, the, web, the, the website will have a link to it uh, with the show notes, uh, but this guy has just been pressing on remarkably. And uh, uh, He was at Oshkosh with the airplane, met a lot of people there. He, matter of fact, he backtracked some to come to Oshkosh. He'd already been through there earlier. Uh, he's uh, operating kind of on donations uh, and the support of some sponsors. And uh, this week he uh, picked up uh, an old, old friend of ours, uh, Jeb, uh, uh, Bob Warner. Oh, sure. RT. Yeah. RT is making the trip to Alaska and back with him. Oh, oh good. I'm jealous. Uh, yeah. RT yeah. and his wife, Noel, have uh, for the last three months kind of been airplane gypsies in the RV-6 that they fly, uh, basically traveling without a permanent address around in the RV-6, and uh, they got linked up with Combs uh, and uh, 
Bob decided to make the Alaska leg with him. Uh, so they're on the route. You can follow them live. You can get the, the Twitter feed and the whole bit. 22,000 miles, 50 flight days, 50 states. That's the goal. What airplane is he flying? A Remos GX, light sport airplane. Okay. Do I read this correctly? He's going to fly from California to Hawaii in that? I'm not sure what that plan is. That did pop into my mind. And since we saw some guys in, uh, from uh, Switzerland cross the southern Atlantic uh-huh. from Africa to Brazil uh-huh. in some CT LSAs that were tanked properly, uh, I would say that certainly, if that's how he wants to do it, that's certainly within the realm of possibility. Okay. It's a long leg, but hey, at least you know that you won't miss the island, not with GPS. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, so, very so cool. you know, hey, way to go, Michael. Uh, press on. Uh, we, do, uh, we do check on your website periodically to see how things are going. And RT... Uh, I might know that you'd find yourself a, a, yeah. a great little jaunt like that. Oh, and looking at the uh, uh, the map here, Jeb, I'm sorry, but yeah, it does look like he's planning on flying from San Diego to Hawaii. Well, I'm looking at another page here, um, and I don't remember how I don't how, I know how I got here, but uh, uh, it's it's inconclusive, uh, as best I can can put it. it. Says list of stops in order. Uh, and uh, a bunch of them are checked off. You get down to, uh, he's made uh, apparently 25 stops. Uh, I'm guessing he's in Scottsdale, Arizona today, uh, based on this. He has press days built in here, uh, whatever. Towards the end, he has um, an entry, travel to Ketchikan, and then he has another entry, travel to Hawaii. And those are not specific flights, um, as at least as apparently listed on this on this um, itinerary, so I, I think that maybe that that um, that jury is still out. Yeah, it, it could be. I know that the Remos has taken him and RT to mm-hmm. Alaska mm-hmm. Uh, and back. So mm-hmm. uh, that's that. That's one of my dream trips. Yeah, 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 yeah really. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Jeb, what's up with uh, Civil Air Patrol? Well, they uh, have have met a milestone uh, this year already. They have uh, achieved or racked up, as, as their press release calls it, racked up their 100th save in their in the current fiscal year. The fiscal year ends uh, September 30, so they got 30 more days uh, to to try to put a few more notches in their belts. But uh, that's that's quite an achievement. Yeah. Um, um, what do they define as a save? Would it be like a, a found down airplane or? Well, it, one of the episodes or one of the events that they discussed in the press release was an elderly couple who uh, were just out on their own and exploring and, and kind of revisiting some of their old haunting grounds and um, were reported overdue. Um, and uh, the, the, I'll just read from this. This is uh, from uh, out of the Wyoming wing. The couple were in Wyoming at the time. Uh, Quote, the couple had left a note for their family that outlined their plans to visit a nearby dam to get some photos of the water running over the spillway. It only does that about once every 20 years. So we had a good idea of where they were. Dispatched air crews, yada, 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 couldn't find them. Um, then the searchers got new information from the local uh, sheriff that someone reported seeing the couple in town 
and reported that they had plans to visit an old cabin out in the wilderness that they'd once owned. The uh, CAP, an airborne CAP crew was redirected to a general area, uh, found the crew within f- in, in, you know, safe and sound, but their vehicle was stuck in the mud. And 15 minutes later, the sheriff was, had showed up to, to help get them dug out and on their way home. They count that as a save. Oh, okay. And as they, well, they should. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, other saves, um, generally speaking, uh, a save, as I recall, and, and I'm certainly willing to be corrected on this by CAP or anybody else, uh, as I recall from my experience in CAP, uh, a save is whenever there's a bona fide mission that uh, there is a missing person or an aircraft down or, or something of that sort, and the CAP launches on that mission, uh, whether by foot or by air, I would add, uh, a lot of uh, the CAP assets are deployed on the ground, not just in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, when they um, um, find and, and or rescue um, <clears throat> uh, the people they're looking for. Yeah. Um, let's see. what The, the proof is in, uh, um, in, in 2009, Civil Air Patrol had 72 saves. While the number has hit 100 before, the yearly average for the last four decades has been 84 saves each wow. year. So wow. this is kind of a banner year for them. And I, I'd <clears throat> kind of like to peel the onion a little bit to figure out, mm, are, is, is, are we just doing better at finding these people or are more people getting lost? Yeah, really. Yeah. Well, in any event, I, I continue to be, be impressed um, by, yeah. by CAP. Um, the work that they do and the... And the, uh, the it's interesting because they they really seem to have found a good mix between taking it very seriously but but having a good time at it. Do you know what I mean by that? I, yeah. The, yeah. the example that always comes to my mind is is that our friend Steve Tupper from uh, the Airspeed Podcast is very involved with CAP, um, as well as a number of other podcast folks uh, around the air around the country, and uh, just listening to them and their CAP activities and the training that they go through and the camaraderie that they share and. Uh, um, and the good works that they do. It's very, very impressive. Um, and uh, congratulations to them on, uh, on reaching this milestone. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> Absolutely. And, and we thank them. Absolutely. And we do thank them, yes. Yeah. Um, I want, I've got one here real quickly. Um, <clears throat> and, and I recognize that this is going to be a little bit of a close call time-wise um, with people listening to this podcast, but I, I was kind of cool and I wanted to call attention to it. Um, the, uh, the California Capitol Air Show uh, has announced... Uh, that they will be hosting every flying Lockheed P-38 Lightning uh, that remains in the United Whoa. States, all right? yeah. uh, Whoa, as right. well as the pilots and ground crew that flew them. This is going to be just kind of a gathering of the uh, of the, the P-38 Lightnings um, at their uh, at their air show on September 11th and 12th, 2010. So it's coming up pretty quick, pretty soon, but uh, it uh, it will be a few days after this podcast hits the airwaves. Um, it's just very, very cool. It's a, it's a really neat airplane, and quite frankly, I didn't realize there were all that many of these airworthy to begin with. Um, I've, I seem to th- remember that I've heard of an air, of an air show recently, or where there were like two of these flying, and I thought that was notable. That that uh, could it have been at Oshkosh? I know, how could I have missed well, that? Well, we've had two at Oshkosh on a, a couple of occasions. Uh huh. So we had a couple at Oshkosh. Uh, I know we did a couple of years ago. We had uh, Glacier Girl and Rough Stuff both. Of course, Glacier Girl. I think Girl. we had. I think we may have had a third there. 
See, I keep, I keep flashing back to, this would be 12, 10, 12, 13 years ago. Um, I attended the Reno Air Races, and there was a, uh, a, a, a P-38 Lightning that went by the name of White Lightning that I understood at the time to be the only airworthy P-38 in existence, and there was talk about how he was going to retire it. Um, so there wouldn't be any flying, but apparently, and obviously Glacier Girl was found since then and uh, other restoration projects. But uh, uh, in any event, the, the, uh, the California Capitol Air Show um, at uh, Sacramento, Sacramento's Mather Airport, remember I've, I've mentioned Mather Airport mm-hmm. a number of different mm-hmm. times, um, is going to be the location of this, uh, this air show on September 11th and 12th. And uh, in addition to all their other air show activities, they will be hosting the, uh, the gathering of this, this gathering of P-38 Lightnings. So uh, the Cal- you, you, can ch- you can find more information about the uh, California Capital Air Show at their website, which is CaliforniaCapitalAirShow.com, all one word except for the .com. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting gathering, and uh, um, I wish I could be out there. I actually considered for a moment going out there to try and check this out. And uh, it's actually being done somewhat in partnership with uh, or in, in association with the Reno National Championship Air Races, which are... Um, right after that, apparently, or right around that time. So, anyways, it's kind of a cool thing. Very cool. Finally, uh, David, uh, you know something about this uh, uh, fly-in? It sounds pretty cool. It does sound pretty cool. Uh, let's see. You're talking about the Bayport Aerodrome fly-in that was, oh, Gemini, August 20th, 20th, I guess it was, Uh Looks like Turbo Ed showed up. Uh, they had a nice collection of old airplanes you, because to fly in, the airplane had to be a 1950 or older to be in the hangar group. Yep, yep. Pretty pretty cool. Yeah, at, uh, at uh, I guess, Bayport Aerodrome, which is 2-3 November, I believe. Um, and uh, uh, I wish I could have made it down there. Um, uh, Turbo Ed, who, is, as I mentioned before, is kind of becoming a UCAP correspondent here, has uh, been sending us all kinds of cool information. Um, and uh, picture. What is this airplane that he uh, that he's shown us a picture of here? It's, it's painted on the side, St. Louis Robin. Um, I was going to say it reminds me of a Curtis Robin. Yeah, maybe that's but, what it is. Uh, I, I'm I'm not for sure with the engine, but that's what it that's that's what it bears the strongest resemblance to. You can tell because it's got so many struts. Yeah. Oh well. Now, but now, according to the caption that uh, Ed has written here, um, this airplane. Let's see. I should just read what he wrote here, huh? Uh, let's see. Now, your plane must be 1950s or older. Had a fun day uh, with the planes. Um, then he sh- he puts a picture in. He says this plane flew for 420 hours back in the 20s to break that record. Um, I'm assuming he's referring to that uh, continuous flight record that that we had been talking about that somebody else is toying with trying to right. to break. He said uh, he said they climbed up onto the wing to pour f- in fuel and said they changed a spark plug during the flight also, which I find a little. But maybe you never. And know. how many days is 420 hours? Uh, I don't know. You tell me. Uh, I can ask a my, lot. I can ask my. I, I, run, I run out of fingers. Real yeah, quick. here we go. 420. Divided by two hundred and forty hours would be ten days. Seventeen and a half days. Seventeen yeah. and a half days. So there you go. Um, 
anyways, beautiful airplane, regardless of uh, of what record it may or may not have broken. And uh, sounds like it was a cool air, uh, a fly-in. I'm going to put it on my calendar does, for yeah. next year and see whether or not I can uh, uh, make it next time. And uh, I want to see the setup for pouring fuel into a wing tank when you're flying. Yeah, I know. Really, <laughs> it's like. There's a you know don't piss into the winds kind of thing going on there you know it's like exactly you, well don't spit into the wind don't right. tug don't tug Superman on Superman's cape, cape. Yeah. Yeah. yeah don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger and don't try to pour fuel into a curtain. don't mess around with Jim That's, um yeah. did we ever establish how many flying P-38s there are no we didn't do you have some indica- some idea no I have none I, I'm <laughs> just curious I, I was closing this tab and I, I that, that was an outstanding question yeah I know I don't know we're, we're off one of us who wants to take this as a homework assignment oh don't everybody I'll, hold I'll, up their hands I'll, at I'll, once yeah I'll, I'll do it I'll do it da- well, Dave I mean if there's, Dave if there's two it. I mean I don't know yeah Dave will do it he'll, he'll report back he'll report okay. back all right, well, that's enough. We got to we got to wrap this thing up. Time to stick a fork in this. Uh, let's see now. Uh, where were, oh, Dave Higdon, that's who it is. Dave Higdon. Yeah. Where? Dave, who? What? Dave, I deny it. Nobody saw me. Can't prove nothing. Dave up Higdon. against the wall. Taxi to that part of the airport over there, and, 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 and oh, sit in the man. airplane. Put your hands up. Dave is an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find out about you and your work on the Internet? Oh, uh, AEA.net. A uh, new article just came out there this week. Uh, .com, uh New stuff about to come out there next week. DaveHigdon.biz, UncontrolledAirspace.com. Uh, oh, and the wanted posters inside the post office. I just saw they renewed Jeb and me both for another year, so... Hallelujah. And Jeb Burnside is a uh, aviation freelance aviation journalist currently serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Where can people find you on the internet, Jeb? Um, the aforementioned uh, post office bulletin board, um, uh, and I'm, I'm sure FBI, you know, has has their own you know, little web page set aside for me. Um, they can find me at uh, aviationsafetymagazine.com for part of my day job. Uh, AEA.net as another part of the day job. Uh, com for um, uh, fun and games and uh, um, remember that my in number is 94515 yeah, that's right and you're not it's not stolen it's, and it's not stolen it's not stolen and I'm Jack Hodgson I'm a private pilot a freelance writer and a new media producer you can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP uh, disclaimer clips and, and other cool audio bits that we use each week. Uh, we're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation <laughs> movies list, the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something? The path to old age and happiness lies through the cockpit of an airplane because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. So I, I really want to know, though, was was Fuller drinking a Cabernet, a Merlot, a Chablis? What was it? I'm betting sangria. <laughs> AMFFM. <laughs> <laughs>